Good tidings, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, welcome to the Good Tidings Radio broadcast here on WXAN Radio. We're here in the uh, studios of WXAN Radio today, and I'm accompanied by my wife, Dorinda. I am your radio pastor, Brother David Pinkerton. We're glad to be coming to you here on the airwaves of WXAN Radio on these beautiful, plush, rolling fields and hills of Ava, Illinois. Uh, I want you to pray for Brother Danny and pray for the radio station. God's doing a wonderful work through this ministry. Support it spiritually. Support it financially. Support it prayerfully. And let tell others about it. If you want to listen to us across the Internet, you can listen on WXANradio.com. That's WXANradio.com. When the page pulls up, Click on Listen Live. We are glad to have you. Let your friends know it's a Good Tidings radio broadcast. And we are thankful to be here with you today. Now, this is September the 3rd in the year of our Lord, 2022. All right. The weekend of Labor Day. So we hope if you travel, you're safe, but you keep us tuned in. Tell others about the Good Tidings radio broadcast. Get a hold of us should you want us to answer some questions for you or need to correspond in any way, you can reach us by email at drdave13 at gmail.com. That's D-R-D-A-V-E-1-3 at gmail.com. And we'd be glad to correspond with you in any way, okay? But this is the Good Tidings Radio broadcast, and we're grateful to be on here. We're having a good time this year and thankful for the open door that God gave us through Brother Danny and Leanne uh, for this year, just enjoying our time with Will and Lewis and the good folks that are here. So you support this this ministry, okay? It's fertile soil to plant seed in, and let God bless you for doing that. All right, open your Bibles today. I want to speak to you about a very, very important subject. A subject, as a matter of fact, that I guess the best way to title this Bible message today or lesson would be the difference between a victorious Christian and a defeated Christian. Again, both are Christians. You say, Brother Dave, how do you become a Christian? The Bible calls us believers, okay? To believe on Jesus Christ, which is Acts 16.31, John 5.24, John 3.36, John 3 and verse 18. In the, the word believe is found in its various forms in the Gospel of John in the New Testament over 90 times. And it simply means to trust in or depend upon Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You know, we all know that John 3.16 says that God so loved the world, that's all of us, that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, born of the virgin, lived a sinless life. He went to the cross, not because he was paying for his sins, because he was sinless, but because he was paying for my sins and Dorinda's and yours and the sins of the whole world, the Bible says. And God took every sin you've ever committed or will commit and put them on Jesus and punished Jesus in your place. He became the propitiation for our sins. In other words, we call it the vicarious suffering. He became our substitute, bearing our sins in his own body on the tree and shedding his blood. He gave his life to pay the sin debt that I owe and that you owe and that all humanity owes. And they took his lifeless body and put it in a tomb. And on the third and glorious day, as prophesied, Jesus Christ 
walked out of the tomb, conquering death, hell, and the grave. And because he lives, our faith is not in vain, and you are going to live also. So, if you put your trust in him to be your Savior, realizing you're a sinner and you can't save yourself, you have nothing good to offer God, and all you got to do is hold your life up against the Ten Commandments, and you'll find out that the Ten Commandments or the law will teach you that you need a Savior, Galatians 3.24, and that Savior is Jesus. And then you ask him to be your Savior in honesty and sincerity from your heart, and God will save you. So, <coughs> so when you do that, excuse me, <coughs> you become a believer in Christ, okay? Amen. So once you're saved, then... Are you going to live a defeated life for Christ or a victorious life? And the way that we answer that and know that all deals with how we deal with sin after we get saved. Some people think that Christians no longer sin. That's not true. First John tells us, and First John in the New Testament is written to Christians. It's written to believers. And it says, if we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, Christ has forgiven us of our past sins, but he also forgives us of our present sins and our future sins. So, how do you handle sin? So, Christians still sin. Don't think that we don't. We don't want to. But when we do, there's a way we need to handle it so that we can get the victorious and live the victorious Christian life. That's what we want to share with you today. In other words, the believer and sin. How does the believer handle sin in our life to be victorious? Everyone who trusts Christ as Savior is saved, but everyone who is saved is not the same. Some Christians live victoriously, while others live in defeat. Some are happy and excited, while others are discouraged and depressed. Some go on regardless of failure while others allow failure to get them down. Now, what's the difference? The difference is not that one is more accepted than the other, because the grounds for acceptance is the same for every person. We must remember that it's impossible for anyone to make himself acceptable to God. God does not accept us because of our good works or good living. He does not accept us because of what we do or don't do or promise to do. The Bible says in Ephesians 1 and verse 6, He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. The only thing that can satisfy God for our sins was the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And the only person God accepts is the one who trusts in Jesus and His finished work at Calvary. Amen. And this is illustrated in the Old Testament story recorded in the book of Exodus, chapter 12. The angel of the Lord was to pass through Egypt, and the firstborn of every house was to die. But God instructed the Israelites to kill an innocent lamb and sprinkle the blood on the doorposts of their houses. God said in Exodus 12 and verse 13, When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Suppose some family hung their baptismal certificates on the door. When they've been, would they have been safe? Absolutely not. God did not say, When I see your baptismal certificates, I will pass over you. He said, When I see the blood... I will pass over you. Suppose others had hung their Sunday school pins on the church, on the door of their home, signifying their faithful attendance at the local church. Would they have been safe? Nope. God did not say, when I see your faithful church attendance, I'll pass over you. 
They could have hung a list of their achievements on the door or maybe a list of their good works that they had been committing. But the only people who were safe were those who were trusting in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the shed blood, rather, of the sacrifice. And the only people whom God accepts are those who are trusting Jesus Christ as Savior. So when we put our faith in Christ, Him alone and nothing else, we are made accepted in the Beloved. And since everyone is accepted on the same basis, then no one is more accepted than the other. All who have trusted Christ have the same standing with the Father. When we trust Christ as Savior, God accepts us just like He accepts Christ because He accepts us in Christ in the Beloved. So, we are so accustomed to accepting people because of what they are and rejecting them for what they are not that somehow we believe that God must operate the same way that we do as humans. But if God accepted us because of what we were or were not, or because of what we did or did not do, then no one would be accepted. Isaiah 64 and verse 6, But we are all as an unclean thing. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. So since all have been accepted alike, on the same basis and forever, then why are Christians different? Why are some victorious while others are defeated? One is no more saved than the other, nor is one more of a child of God than the other. All those who trust Christ have been justified. They have everlasting life, and all are the sons of God. So what's the difference? The difference, and here it is, friends, the difference is in what we do about our sins after we are saved. Let me repeat that. The difference is in what we do about our sins after we are saved. Discouragement may be the devil's most effective tool against the believer. And the one thing he urges most to discourage us is our failure to do everything that God wants us to do and be what everything God wants us to be. So let's face the facts. Every Christian sins. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 10, If we say we have not sinned, we make him, that's God, a liar. The best Christians in the Bible sinned. David sinned. Noah sinned. Lot sinned. Peter sinned. And the list goes on. The difference in Christians is not not that one sins and the other doesn't. Nope, we all fail. But the difference is in what we do with our sins. Think about that. Some people, what do we do with our sins? So when people sin, especially a new Christian, I have found it correct and advantageous to take them to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, which explains to the believer that if we confess our sins, in other words, we name them. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So sometimes new Christians say, well, I get tired of asking God over and over and over because I'm doing the same sin. Well, God can give you the victory over that sin. But irregardless, you need to still come to him and confess it and forsake it when you do sin. So God does cleanse you. That's a promise. He doesn't withhold his promises from you. So 
This has happened thousands of times to all of us as believers. Now think about this. The devil has discouraged so many Christians because they don't understand what they should do with sin after they've been saved. And the greatest blunder a Christian can make is not their failure in trying to live for Jesus, but their failure to understand God's provision for their sin. So let's look at this this morning. The believer and sin, number one. If we're going to be victorious, recognize this. Christ died on the cross for all our sins. I cannot overemphasize this fact, folks. It needs to be shouted from every housetop in the community. It needs to be told over and over again. There is not a sin, no matter how small or how great, that Christ did not die for. The Bible says in Isaiah uh, chapter 53 and verse 6, The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The scripture says in 1 Peter 2.24, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. And in 2 Corinthians 5.21 it says, For he that is God hath made him, that is Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. In Him. A lot of people think that when they're young Christians, they got the idea that Jesus died for their past sins. That is, the sins that I've committed before we were saved. But somehow, they can't see that He dies for their present and their future sins. All we have to do is go back to the Scripture. Because Christ died on the cross, as our point is saying, for all our sins. And after years of defeat, many Christians finally realized that Christ died for all of their sins, past, present, and future. And as soon as you get that in your heart and believe God's Word and not traditions that have been taught to you by, by Christians who don't know what the Bible or say, says, or a relative or some spiritual leader who doesn't, who's misguided and doesn't realize what the Bible says, when you get that in your heart, you can sing... Like H.G. Uh, Spafford said in the song, and I quote, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. End of quote. Amen. And the songwriter John M. Moore certainly knew what he was talking about also when he wrote, and I quote, Why did they nail him to Calvary's tree? Why? Tell me why he was there. Jesus the helper, the healer, the friend. Why? Tell me why he was there. All my iniquities on him were laid. He nailed them all to the tree. Jesus the debt for my sin fully paid. He paid the ransom for me. End of quote. So the greatest truth that should ever course through your brain, friend, is the truth of the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross. Amen. There is not a sin, great or small, past or present or future, for which Jesus did not die. There is no sin that you will ever commit which has not already been paid for by Christ's substitutionary death at Calvary. God does not find it difficult to forgive us. As a matter of fact, He does not forgive sin. He forgives the sinner. The word forgive means to bear the burden. And the burden of our sin was laid on Jesus some 2,000-ish years ago. And at Calvary, he bore the burden of our guilt and satisfied the just demands of a holy God, praise God. 
The price of forgiveness has already been paid, friend. All God wants us to do is accept it freely and believe it. Believe what God said. He's not going to lie to you. Believe the word of God, not the opinion of some church person. It's an insult to God not to accept the payment that Jesus made for our sins. That's an insult. So what does a Christian need to do when it comes to the believer in sin and living victoriously? We need to realize, number one, that Christ died on the cross for all our sins. Number two, we need to realize that God does not make us pay for our sins. To be sure, God does chasten us. That means he corrects us. Listen closely to me. You say, Pastor David, I know somebody who professed to be a Christian And they got saved, and they served God for a while, and then all of a sudden they turned their back on God and went out into the world again and started living like the devil. Well, I'm going to tell you what. Number one, you don't know who's saved and who's not. Number two, God does the saving. Human beings don't save themselves. Number three, if they are saved, God is a loving father, and he as a father doesn't raise spoiled children, so he will correct them. And if he corrects them and corrects them and corrects them and they don't change, then the Bible does talk about a sin unto death. I believe he takes them home early. But why some people don't change and your faith is scarred because of it, because you're watching them instead of watching Jesus, is because they may have never been saved. Think about that. God knows the motive of someone when they profess to be saved. But you'll say, Pastor... What if they turn back and go to the world? If they're saved, God will correct them. They will come back eventually. But if not, maybe they were never saved to begin with. So when a person is saved, God gives them eternal life. So don't watch people. Watch Jesus. And God does not make us pay for our sins. Get this, folks. He corrects us. When we sin, he corrects us. Amen. Chastisement. But the chastisement, folks, is not payment for the sin. He will, we'll talk about that in, in later on, another message. But think about this. The death of Jesus on the cross was full payment for the sins of the whole world. The Bible says in 1 John 2 and 2, and he, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. That simply means that the death of Jesus on the cross satisfied God for all sins which have ever been committed or ever will be committed. Isaiah 53, 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. The word transgress means to cross the line. Jesus was wounded for every time we crossed the line. Jesus was wounded for every time we crossed the line. Every person who's ever lived has at times deliberately and willfully disobeyed the commands of God. We have crossed the line, in other words. But Jesus was wounded for every time we crossed the line. He was bruised for our iniquities. We sometimes have sang that old invitational hymn, and I quote, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. End of quote. That was written by Elvina M. Hall. So, folks, it's not easy for us to accept the fact that the death of Jesus Christ is complete payment for our sins. 
we somehow feel that we must at least suffer for some of them. But while Jesus was hanging on the tree, he uttered seven things. And the sixth utterance was, it is finished. John chapter 19 and verse 30. And I've read the expression is one Greek word, teletestei, a word used for business transactions. When the word was written across a bill, it meant paid in full. So I've also read that it is in the word of an artist. So after working for months on a painting, when the final touch has been made to the canvas, the artist stands, stares and with complete satisfaction and says, tetelestei, meaning it is completed. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. So it's in his song, Hallelujah, What a Savior, that Philip P. Bliss wrote, and I quote, Lifted up was he to die. It is finished, was his cry. Now in heaven, exalted high. Hallelujah, what a Savior. End of quote. So it is finished, folks, are the most important words of the Bible for us to understand. But they are also the most misunderstood words. The world is filled with religions that have never understood the meaning of Jesus' cry, it is finished. They do not believe that Jesus completely paid for our sins, so they add something to his finished work as a requirement for salvation. They add sacraments, rituals, ceremonies, or good works. For our salvation was done. Tis done, the transaction's done. I am the Lord's and he is mine, the song says. But the Bible says in Isaiah 53:10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Jesus paid for all our sins. Get that in your spirit today. Not simply the sins we committed before we were saved, but the sins we will commit tomorrow and the next day and as long as we shall live. I've heard preachers say, if you sin, you'll pay for it. But folks, that's not taught in the Bible. If we paid for any sin, we'd have to die, go into hell, and stay there forever. You see, God not only God is only one payment for sin, and that is in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That death is described in the Bible in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 14 as the second death. Here the scripture says death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So I mentioned earlier that God does, does chasten his children, but chastisement is not payment for sin. It is child correction. Amen. Hebrews 12, 6 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Once we trust Jesus as Savior, God never deals with us again as a sinner. From that moment on, he deals with us as sons and daughters. Amen. Let us see if we can illustrate that truth. Suppose this. Suppose I caution my son about his careless driving and warn him that if he wrecks a car, I'm going to deal with him. Sometime later, he wrecks the automobile. And let's pay, suppose I gave him an old-fashioned spanking, or as, my, as your fathers would say in mine too, a whipping. Did the spanking pay for the automobile? Absolutely not. After I spank my son, I still have to pay the body shop to repair the automobile. I paid for the repair, but I spanked my son so he would, more, he would be more careful about his driving. Listen to this. Listen. God chastens believers, corrects believers, spanks believers. However, the chastening never pays for our sins. 
Jesus paid for all our sins Amen. when he died on the cross, so God does not make us pay for them. Amen. Now listen, how do we obtain forgiveness? We're dealing with the believer and, and sin today. We're dealing with how to live the victorious Christian life, and it all has to do with how we deal with sin in our life. And we must understand it. So the first thing we talked about was Christ died for all of our sins, past, present, and future. Second thing we talked about was God does not make us pay for our sins. Jesus already did that. The third thing, and the finally, about as far as we'll get today on the believer in sin, I hope you're understanding what God's Word teaches. David and Dorinda didn't write this. This is God's Word. When you open the Bible, you're opening the mind of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God's Word is teaching us this today. Now, how do we obtain forgiveness? And thirdly, the believer in sin and living victoriously, how do we obtain forgiveness? Well, the, the first epistle of John, as time remains quickly, contains five chapters, 105 verses was written to believers, 1 John. And in 1 John 5, 13, it says, These things have I written unto you that believe, in other words, trust in, the name of the Son of God. So one of the most blessed verses in the Bible for the Christian is 1 John 1, 9. We talked about if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, the moment we trust Christ as Savior, we are permanently accepted in the beloved. But if we sin after we are saved, we need forgiveness and cleansing in order to maintain fellowship with God. And that's where 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 comes in. See, sonship is one thing. Fellowship is quite another. First John 1 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. So when David was out of fellowship with God, he was not happy, victorious in his Christian life, and neither are you and I because he had not confessed his sins and obtained God's forgiveness and cleansing. That's what you need to do today. Listen, friend, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, God has saved you because Jesus paid your sin debt. God has given you eternal life. Amen. Now, you need to know what to do when you sin because you're going to. And that is 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God will forgive you. You forgive yourself and live in victory victory, and be a victorious Christian living for God, filled with the Spirit. Now, folks, this is the Good Tidings radio broadcast, and we're grateful that you're tuned in. But if you're going to live a victorious Christian life instead of a defeated Christian life, then you must understand what God did with your sin and what you must do with it. So Jesus paid for it recognize it, believe it, God said it, and that settles it all. And live victoriously. We don't want to sin as Christians. We don't want to, but we do. And when we do, we are grieved. We are convicted. And then when we are, 1 John 1, 9 cleanses us from all unrighteousness. I'm going to wrap it up with this. If you go out into the world, listen, when you trusted Christ as Savior, 
God made a new relationship. You became his son or daughter because the blood of Christ had been had cleansed you from all unrighteousness. And you had been born again of the Spirit. It's a spiritual birth. Now, as a Christian, when you sin, your relationship with God is not terminated. Your fellowship, or in other words, your communing or communicating with God is broken. That is reestablished when you confess those sins to God, not people, not a priest. You confess them to God and then con- and then claim his forgiveness of 1 John 1, 9, that he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when you do that, friend, you're going to live the victorious life that God has cleansed you. Get your happiness back. Get your joy back. This is the Good Tidings radio broadcast, and Jesus has paid for your sins. That is good tidings. You should know that. Now live victoriously for him. Win souls to Christ. Tell the world about Jesus. Support a good Christian ministry like WXAN Radio, where we can share the gospel with the world. And on behalf of my wife, Dorinda, and myself, this is your radio pastor, Brother David Pinkerton, saying good tidings to you. Jesus is good tidings. Know him as your Savior. Walk with him as your Lord and tell others about him. Jesus is coming again. God bless you. I bring you good tidings of great joy. Oh, yes. 